All right, so welcome back. Sorry for missing last week. Uh, I hope everyone had an extra, extra time to prepare uh, the second Jorish. <laughs> As you'll see, uh, the second Jorish is incredibly complicated. Uh, it's attracted probably more attention in uh, the halachic literature than I would argue any other passage uh, than the, of the Rambam's halachic writings. Um, and it has its tentacles, meaning it like impacts so much. Right? Uh, the second Jorish is very controversial for what he says, and it's even controversial what he says. So, it's not in, so we're going to spend some time trying to map out what the Ramam's doing. Uh, and because it's so complex, I think we're going to probably spend a few weeks on the second Jorish. This week we're going to do sort of just lay the groundwork, sort of get a sense of what the major issues are. Uh, and then next week we're going to put forward, I'm going to put forward a suggestion as to what might be going on. Uh, and then probably what will happen in the third week is that we'll sort of see a little bit of the uh, related issues. Just to sort of whet your appetites, the major issue here, uh, the, ma the, the major place this comes up sort of in, in everyday parlance is related to the, uh, how the Ramam deals with Divrei Sofrim. Right? So what's going on when the Ramam says um, such and such law is uh, only Divrei Sofrim, right? that's like a, a very closely related issue to the issues that are addressed in the second Shorish. So let's just d dive in, uh, just to get at the beginning, to get a sense of the problems and some of the uh, concern that the later Rishonim raise about this. So the second Shorish begins uh, very strangely, in fact, differently than all the other Shorashim, insofar as the Ramam doesn't present a very clear statement of what he wants. Right? Every other Shorish, maybe except for one, other one sort of says, count this, don't count this. Right, but here, he doesn't, he doesn't really give a glat statement of what, what he wants. He says the following, the first, first source, Don't count everything learned from the Mido, which implies you count some things from the Mido. Well, why? How do you know? Right? Well, that's, that's sort of different. Right? We saw in the first source, like, don't count Durabanans. just... Very straightforward. So on the, we'll see if we ever get there in the, the third Shoresh, right? Don't count temporary commandments. Only count eternal ones. It's, very, it's just much clearer than that. Or the fourth Shoresh. Don't count general statements. Only count specific things that re, you know, require certain acts. Right? So why, why here is he speaking, really, as has been termed, circuitously? Right? He's not speaking very directly as to what is going on. And just, there's a couple places where this comes up. We'll probably get back to this, these statements uh, next week much more closely. But let's just see what the basic guidelines are. And it becomes immediately clear what the problem is. So it's How do you figure out what you count and what you don't count of the Midot? So anytime you don't have an explicit pasuk, but you have a law derived from one of the Midot's, if the rabbis themselves said, if they say explicitly that it is guf Torah, the essence maybe of Torah, or that it's Doraita from, from, from Chumash, whatever that means, you should count it. Why? The recipients of revelation, meaning Chazal, this is a very Maimonidean term, Amru shehu doraita because they say explicitly is doraita so therefore you would count it if it's if they if you know if you don't have a verse if you something that's ambiguous or something that's not explicitly in the Torah like the example that he gives 
when this comes up in a tshuva we'll get to next week, he says, oh, well, Shabbos, that's explicit. I don't need the rabbis to tell me Shabbos is Doraisa, right? That's not a big surprise to anybody. Uh, but what, if, what about the other cases? So if they tell you that it's learned from the Midos, and they add to that that it's Guf Torah, or that it is Doraisa, then you count it because the recipients of Revelation tell you that it is Doraisa. Okay. And conversely, if they didn't say that it's Doraisa, or that it's Guf Torah, it's just rabbinic. Right? You don't have a Pasuk, and therefore it's, and you don't have the Chazal saying that it's Doraisa or Guf Torah, then it's Durabanan. Okay, this is quite surprising. Ah, this is the problem. That's the big, that's the problem. The question, the problem is, right, he seems to be conflating this category of Doraisa with counted, and therefore Durabanan with not counted, which we already saw is a lot more complicated, and that's part of how we're going to dive into it, and we'll get there, we'll get back to that in a few minutes. But basically, at least on the first read, it really seems that what the Ramam is saying is that if it's in the list, or if Chazal say explicitly it's Guf Torah or Daraisa, then it's considered a Daraisa law. And if not, which is maybe 99% of everything else learned from the Mido, that, that's learned from the Midos, it's only Durabanan, which is shocking, yeah. right? You're telling me that the vast, vast, vast majority of halachot that are learned from Midrashim are not, are not Daraisa, they don't have serious biblical status, they're only Durabanan? This is, should, should be appalling. And this was appalling, in fact, to many Rishonim. Right? How could that be? How could you have a system where we think that you know, all these unwritten laws have biblical sources? Right? How could that be? And that, you're telling me that's only Durabanan. That's because it really seems to be what the, what the Ramam is saying. And this, obviously, I'm not the first to make this, be upset about this. Even the Ramban wasn't the first to be upset about this, but the Ramban makes it very clear. And towards the beginning of his Hasagos, he writes, So, right? The Ramam is uprooting huge swaths of the, the, the Talmudic system. And then at the end, a little bit more likely, at the end of, the, of, his, of, his, of his comments on the second Shoresh, right? There's, like, the, Rama, the Ramban just went off counting, like, I don't know, 1,500, uh, 150, whatever it is, passages in Shas that seemingly go against the Ramam's idea that if it's not explicitly called Daraisa, that it's not Daraisa, if it's learned from the Midrashim. Right? They, all these cases violate the Ramam's rules. He says, This is a great book. It's very sweet. It's very enjoyable. Milvad ha'ikar hazeh, except for this second principle, shehu oker harim dolim betalmud umapil chamot zurot begemara, that he's uprooting mounds of important Talmudic mountains and making walled fortified cities fall in the Gemara. And he goes on, if that's not enough, v'ha'inyan l'lomdeh ha'gemara ra'umar, this is an awful thing for anyone who ever wanted to learn Gemara, this, this should be forgotten, uprooted, uh, altogether be done with, and never be spoken of again. This is very harsh language, even for the Ramban, who is generally defends, defends the Bahag and the, other, and the Gonim. Right? The Ramban is certainly going much further. We can tell already he's going further. He's very upset about this. Right? You can really tell me that all, everything that's in Midrash is just a Rabbanan? So, 
I just want to take a very brief aside to show you that, that the Ramban's idea that concerns is actually echoes um, elsewhere in Rishon Svarad, not in the Rashba who learned from him, but the Ritva who learned in the following generation. is actually a very well-known passage in the Ritva. If you probably ask, you know, people who learn yeshivas, like, how many Ritvas do you know? they probably tell you this one, Ritva, but it actually pertains to our case. And, it, and, and it's related to this question of the status of Malchiel Zichron and Shofrot on Rosh Hashanah, which we say during Musaf. So the big Malchiel we shown him was whether or not that's Doraisa or Dorabana, and Rashi seems to think it's Doraisa, and all, most other Rishonim are not so convinced. And the Ritva notes that, that this is just an Asmachta, but he thinks that Asmachta is actually different than most of us are used to thinking. We think usually Asmachta, just like a later, oh, just linked to the Pasuk, we have this din, and like, lo and, and whatever, we just found it after the fact. But the, the Ritva famously is very, very upset about that. He says, Asmachta, I mean, a Pasuk, what's, a, what's an Asmachta? Right? What's an Asmachta? It's not just like an after-the-fact linkage, but really, Kaddish Baruch is like, link suggests this should be done, but it's not explicit. This is clear. It's not like those people just say it's like a sign or a remembrance. And this wasn't actually intended. Right? This is like very strong language. Right? It's exact same language of his, you know, Rebbe's Rebbe, the Ramban. Right? It's clear that he's, he's, he's referencing this. In fact, if you... Look up the phrase, you see it all come up a number of times in this very question of the status of Midrash Halacha. Right? And he goes on, he's, he doesn't actually, he's not attacking the Rambam, but he's clearly very concerned with, the, with people who associate these ideas with the Rambam, that are related to the Rambam, meaning what is the status of Midrash Halacha? Okay, maybe it's just after the fact, it's linked to the, linked to the Psukim, it wasn't really the intention of the Torah, right? The Rifa is very upset. And in fact, after the Ramban, and we'll encounter this more a little bit next week, when we see the um, history of interpretation of the second Shoresh, which is going to help us, I think, at least, make, at least help me make my suggestions, which I think are a little bit different than what's usually understood, the vast, vast majority of readers of the second Shoresh think this idea that if it's not countered, it's Durabanan, is ludicrous. Ad kach, that the Yad Malachi, who's uh, one of the... Um, who wrote like Klalim in terms of general rules, how to think about Torah. He writes, Lefamim kotev harambam, besefar mitzvot shalo, al eze din jumi darabanan. Right? Sometimes the Rambam calls certain things darabanan. Ve'ena kabanami darabanan lagamre. It's not really darabanan. Hanemar ba'alma. It's not really that. Why? Skip to the next sentence. Ve'ulai, perhaps, hama'atik milashon aravi le'ivri, the translator of the Sefer mitzvot, and he, the copyist, the, the, the translator, wrote in the word He really wanted to say which in this, in this tradition, means something different than just Durabanan. And really, this is a mistranslation of what happened in the Sefer Mitzvot. Right? This is they're really very so uncomfortable with this word that it, just, it can't possibly have been there in the original. Right? This Yad Malachi and somebody else. Um, says it on the Rambam, but it's, it's incorrect, historically speaking, but it shows you how concerned they are with this, with this language. They just can't imagine the Rambam actually even said it. Okay, so what's going on here? What is the status of Midrash? Like, why is the Rambam being so extreme, seemingly, 
And what does he really think? Is it like the, Ram, the Ramban, right? That Midrashim are all the Rabbanan and that's ludicrous? Or is it like this apologetic strain, which we've seen in the Yad Malachi, which is, we'll get to more in greater detail, really, it doesn't really mean that. So what's going on here? So just very quickly to understand the contrast between the first source and the second source, it will help us understand what's going on. So in the first source, we saw, we saw last week, or a few weeks ago, that the, the, the Rambam is very concerned with not counting dinim durabanan, right? And he said, we saw, for example, which you see in source number five, the laws associated with the, with the prophet Yeshaya, right, as in terms of how do you, uh, clothing the naked, and um, those kind of things, right, those are all in Yeshaya, and they're only durabanan. But when it comes to very similar issues in, um, that, that are related to sort of doing tzedakah, the Rambam has a, treats them again in the second source, and the contrast is very helpful. So in, in source number six, he say, he's, he's arguing against uh, the Bahag and others, right? He says, Shehem, kish, shehem the, the people I'm disagreeing with, Kishematsu drash bepasuk, Yitchayev mina drash hahu, Lasot pu'ula mina pu'ulot, Ularchik inyan mina anyanim. Anytime you kind of drasha, that tells you what you should do or not do. These, these actions are all only rabbinically mandated. Nevertheless, they They counted them among the mitzvot. Right? Even though the pshat of the verses are not like that, they said, oh, it's from a drasha, nevertheless, we're going to count it. Right? So then go to the next paragraph. Right, so the people who thought this drushas are very serious or daraisa counted the following things. Right, all these other chesed related ideas, visiting the sick, comforting the bereaved, right, burying the deceased. Why? Right, based on the following drasha, which is in um, Messiah. Right, this is a, a pasuk in Tvarim, I think. Inform them of the way they should act. So in a classic Midrashic vein, right, Chazal, read it very simply. What is Haderech? Oh, Yelchu, this is Bikr Kolim. Read, the Chazal very, fam- very often will do this. They'll take down, they'll break down each single word of a pasuk. They'll say, oh, this, which seemingly has no reference, like what is Yelchu refers to Bikr Kolim, it requires some understanding as to why that would be, right? It's not, certainly not obvious from the, from the Pesukim, right? And they, he says, they interpreted this Midrashim, as it, each act would require a separate mitzvah, which therefore each, midrash, this, each law would be Daraisa. But then he gets on, he says, oh, if they really did so, then you get to many thousands of mitzvahs, and you get over the town, and we have the same problem we encountered at the end of the first Shoresh, right? So this is what's going on, this is what his target is, is these Midrashim, really any midrash in general. That's what it seems like, right? Either it's divorced from Pesukim, right? Or it goes far away, or it's certainly not literal. Like, that's what it sounds like. Except when you actually go through the Minyan Mitzvot, I just brought a few examples, it seems like you have a very different picture. Right? So let's just say, this is verse number seven, the Mitzvah of Tefillah, right? Where does the Mitzvah of Tefillah come from? Anyone know where the Pasuk is? Right? You should serve God. You should worship, do avodah. Right? So the Chazal say, right? worshiping God, serving God, that is prayer. Okay? So, and, he's, and the, the, the Ramam even says, 
Well, you could think that serving God is a general commandment that applies to everything, and therefore should be include, excluded from the Minyan Mitzvot based on the, first, the fourth Shoresh. No, nevertheless, we have a Midrash that says, Lavdo, Zotfila, Avoda is prayer, therefore prayer is Doraisa, encountered in the, in the Minyan Mitzvot. Wait a second, I thought Midrashim were not that serious, or were not Doraisa. Well, what's going on here? Or, um, an even more extreme case, right, in towards the end of the negative commandments, the Ramam says, oh, so what's, so there's actually a, a separate mitzvah losase of in, imposing capital punishment on Shabbos. Yeah, this is one of the mitzvah losase that doesn't come up very often. Um, but nevertheless, a separate losase, don't, if someone is high misa, don't do it on Shabbos. How do you know? Right, just in the, in the, second, in the second sentence here in source number eight. Don't light fire on Shabbos. Don't burn someone, don't punish someone with Shreifa if, if on Shabbos. And that applies to all the other capital punishments as well. I mean, if you're looking for a Midrash that's like away from the obvious meaning of the verse, right, this is like a fantastic example, right? It is not even close, like I wouldn't... I mean, okay, I don't think anyone would have heard of it if it wasn't for the Rambam, right? I would have thought this, this okay, whatever, it's like a nice midrash for the, telling you don't do onshin on Shabbos, don't punish people on Shabbos. But to say this is a, this is a mitzvah, right? And this is what this verse means, it's shocking, right? And uh, other examples, right? It says, asher tikruotam, we have this in source number nine, we have the, in, in the mitzvah of the calendar, you should announce the, 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 the festivals, Right? Only, only these, mitzv- these, these festivals, source number nine, Kolomar, Shiamru Haim, Shehem Moadot. Right? If Chazal say, this is, the, this is the festival, then do it like that. Afilu Shogging, Afilu Onasin, Afilu Mutin, Mutain, right? Even if they mess up, right? Nevertheless, you follow Chazal when it comes to the calendar. Right? Again, not at all the obvious thing in the Psukim, and the Midrashim here seem to be. Ex- going much further than one would expect, I think, right? If you have a very narrow reading of what the Rambam means or what Doraisa is, or therefore Midrashim we're going to reject as and label only Dorabanan, it's not at all clear that what's obvious from the Pesokim, what's Pshat, or what's direct, right? So how, do you, how does the system work? What's, what does the Rambam have in mind when it comes to Midrashim? So this is obviously a very, very important question for how the Rambam operates. Um, and frustratingly, I would suggest, it, he doesn't really give us very clear guidelines. So we're going to have to sort of work them out. But the Rambam never tells you anywhere, oh, these are the Midrashim that you take seriously. These are the ones that are only Durbanan. Right? We don't know. We just don't know. Right? We don't understand um, explicitly how, the, like, the, after the, we, we only have to come after the fact to figuring out how the Rambam sorted out the Midrashim into what he t- took and what he would take as a Doraisa um, or as a, some sort of law that's from Sinai. And then those midrashim that are darabana, right? So some recent scholarship has argued, oh, well, it's about pshat, right? It's what, what's closer to the psuk, the meaning of the psukim. But the problem with that, I think, is the last two examples I just quoted, right? I don't think it's, it's, I mean, I don't think it's pshat to say, like, oh, punishment on Shabbos, right? That's, uh, that's based on don't light a fire on Shabbos, right? I don't think that's correct, right? Or even these other, these other cases, right? Um, you know, the, the Rambam seems to think that the other Inuim on Yom Kippur, right, not just eating and drinking, but all the other ones are also have some sort of Sinai source, right, not necessarily in the Pesukim, 
But there's very clear authority from Sinai when it comes to wearing leather shoes or anointing the hule on Yom Kippur. Right? Again, totally divorced from the Pesukim. Anyone who's ever learned the eighth parak of Yuma right, knows that you know, Chazal sort of go bend backwards, bend over backwards to try and find hints in the Pesukim that are really not there. Right? And it's clearly that it's not, if you, if you want to look for a midrash that is not like, obvious from the Pesukim, this is a very, very good example. And yet, the Rambam counts or doesn't count them, but he includes them within the dinim that are from Sinai as, as they pertain to Yom Kippur, right? So it's not, for me at least, it's not, I, don't, I find it very difficult to suggest that pshat is, what going, is what's going on here. So what I want to do with, with the rest of the time we have tonight um, is sort of try and lay out some of the problems and some various ways the Raman would tackle Midrashim, uh, and then we'll try and use that to... to further our understanding of the second Chorash next week. Okay, so he begins the second Chorash, actually, on the second, the second side of the sheet, with the following statement, right? He says, right? I already explained in the, in, the, in the introduction to the Parish of Mishnah, the following three axioms. One, most laws in the Torah, meaning most laws in the Jew, within the Jewish legal system, are based on the Midos. Two, Sometimes you have a debate as it pertains to those laws. Three. Right? Sometimes there's a, a tradition from Moshe about which there is no debate, and that's what the Ramam generally holds. If anything from Moshe, there can't be debate about and nevertheless, they will bring a proof as to what the tradition is from the Midos. Why? Right? Because one of the great things about, about Chumash is you can find hints to these extra-scriptural traditions that Moshe received, right? But they're not really written there at all. Therefore, based on these three principles, right, that most of the law is from the Midos, and sometimes we can't even tell what the Midos are doing. You can't say anything that has the Midos is from Sinai, because sometimes that was after the fact. Neither can you say that it's Durbanan. You can't, because we don't know. Sometimes the Midos are telling you the law is already there, and we're just linking it after the fact. Sometimes they're telling us the law is used, is used to, sorry, the Midos are used to create a new law. Okay, so, let's, so let's understand what, what I mean by this. First of all, the Ramam seems to think, and we saw this already a little bit in the first year, right, that when, um, when Gosh Baruch Hu spoke to Moshe, he gave him the mitzvot, right? And for source 11, he gave him the mitzvot and he gave him the explanation, right? Meaning the, the psukim and, the, and, their, and what they mean, right? And this, what they mean, is how the Ramam under, defines the, the term Torah Shabbat Peh, right? So Torah Shabbat Peh, I guess, is a, is a phrase that you could understand in all sorts of different ways. You could say it refers to all of Chazal. You could say it refers to everything that the rabbis ever thought. Right? For the Ramam, almost all the time, the phrase Torah Shabbat is narrowly defined as those traditions that are associated with Torah Shabbat that Moshe received, right? So if you look in the second sentence in source 11, in the second line, um, the, 
v'zochrin ha-kabbalah al peh. Right? They would write down the Pesukim from Moshe and remember the traditions. V'kach omrim chachamim aleyam ha-shalom Torah shebichtav v'torah shebal peh. Right? The Mikra is written Torah and the traditions are oral Torah. Or in the introduction of the Parish of Mishnah. Right, he says, call mitzvah, Moshe, Bessina, Right, anytime Moshe got a mitzvah, he got it with its explan- accompanying explanation. Right, based on this very well-known pasuk, if you want, an, if you want a pasuk where the midrashim are all, are, are not quite associated with it, this is a very good example. Nevertheless, it's central to the beginning of the way the Ramah begins the parish mission, the mission Torah. Right, so Torah in this verse means Torah Shebechtav. mitzvah. Zoperusha, right? This is the explanation. We, Hashem gave us the Torah and the mitzvah, meaning Torah Shabbat. Torah al mitzvah. We to follow the Torah based on the mitzvah. What is the mitzvah? Mitzvah zo he and he create Torah Shabbat. Right. So you see again the Rambam using the phrase Torah Shabbat in a very very narrow way. Right. In source number thirteen, I quoted um, a seemingly different uh, different usage of the phrase Torah Shabbat. Um, but generally speaking, I would say you know in 10 of the 12 cases, or whatever it is, I don't remember the numbers, the Ramam uses the phrase Torah Pet in this very narrow way to refer to these traditions. Okay. And those traditions are what are at stake, I think, here. For example, the Ramam in source number 14 offers the following example. Right? Sit in the sukkah for seven days. Right? That's a very good example of a mitzvah and a pasuk. Right, the very basic um, requirement that this falls only on men and not on women. Right, and you wouldn't have a sukkah for someone who's ill or someone who's traveling. Things that grow on the ground. Right? We should know all these halachos because they come up pretty frequently. Right? And he goes on, he gives some more examples. Right? Moshe got this mitzvah and the explanation. So too, Right? So this example, the Ramam, for some reason, um, another example he likes to give is Lulav, is, is the identification of the Etrog. I'm not good. I think it's probably just coincidence that the Rambam is into these sukkah examples for proving his point about what Torah Shabbat Peh is. But it's very clear that for the Rambam, you have, on the one hand, written Torah, and accompanying it, Torah Shabbat Peh. And that Torah Shabbat Peh is very narrowly defined as that material that's unwritten that can be ascribed to Sinai. That's how the Rambam views it. Okay, so then what happened after that? So again, we're going to, this is back in the parish of Mishnah. Source number 15. Then, uh, we all know, Moshe passes away, and then Sefer Dvarim, Kasher meit alav shalom. So Moshe passes away. Ukfar masar li Yeshua perishim And he gave all of those Torah Shabbat Peh explanations to Yeshua. Bekol ma shekibal mimenu, hu o echad hazakinim, ein bo masau matan, there was never any debate about any of the traditions from Moshe. But, whatever was not heard from Moshe, so that they argued about. 
v'nilmad bo hadid midarche yun b'shoshoshay midot shenit nolo b'sinai. Right? Then they would argue about those laws. If they, something came up, they weren't sure. They didn't have a tradition about it. They would use their, their minds, right? As we saw the Ramah rejecting uh, prophecy for these kinds of matters, right? They would use the midos and they would think about it. Sometimes you have a debate, an argument, right, about things that are unclear, right? So therefore, again, now we have even taken away a second criteria. The first criteria would be, well, the midot, right? Maybe if I, if, if, if Chazal are using the midos, then I could say, oh, this midrash is not really part of the original Torah Shabbat Pet. But the Ramah says, no, that's not true. Why? Because sometimes the Midot are telling us laws we already know, and sometimes the Midot are creating laws. So we can't use the Midot as a test to figure out where the law is from. What about debate? Perhaps the Ramah argues, right, there was certain laws were never subject to, to disagreement. This is a hotly debated issue. We, we're not going to go into it tonight, but let's just assume the Ramah is correct for a second. Right? There was never any ar- argument about any, about any traditions. Right? The Raman likes to give, you know, the examples of identification of the etrog. No one ever argued about the etrog, what it was. But if you, re- if you read the Gemaras, you can see they're arguing about the psukim as to how you prove the etrog is the etrog. Priyat Sadar is the etrog, right? So, okay, so that's a debate, but that, that debate is not about the content of the law, just how you link it to the psukim. Right? So therefore, even when you have art disagreement, you never really know what the disagreement is about. Is this a disagreement about a tradition and how to identify it in the psukim? Or is it a disagreement about creating a law? Right? So therefore, even that, right, we have, we're not really sure. Right? Um, okay. So then he continues in, in source number 15 after the first ellipses in the middle paragraph. Why? Why is there a disagreement? Sometimes you have, if, when it comes to legal reasoning, when it comes to thinking through the way halacha develops, you're going to have debating, people are going to disagree. That's just sort of the natural outcome of what's going to be. And therefore, we just follow the majority. Right? We all know this general halacha. This is how the Ramam integrates it. Right? When there's disagreement, you follow the rov because that's just going to happen when it comes to this kind of legal reasoning. But he emphasizes... Next paragraph. Right? But the things that are received and there's no, about which there's no disagreement. Right? Again, he gets back to this idea that you can sometimes find hints to the, to the received traditions within the psukim. So therefore, we have no idea at least at first, without much greater analysis, what a midrash is doing. Is a midrash creating a new law, and therefore there will be disagreement about, and therefore we'd have to follow the majority? Or is a midrash just upholding something, some tradition that they knew from Sinai? Right? It, so the Ramam is telling us, we don't really know, at least at face value. Right? Even when he summarizes these, the various realms of Torah Shabbat Peh, he gets back to the same issue. Right, in source number 16, right, it says there's five different categories of Torah Shabbat, of not Torah Shabbat in the narrow sense, but sort of unwritten law that, we, that are developed, that are not found in, in, in Chomish. What are they? 
So the first one, Echelech HaRishon, HaPerushim HaMukabalim Mimoshe, Sheish Lehem Remes Bekatuv, Oshe Efshar Lulamdam Ba'achadimidot. There's no debate. These first category is laws from Moshe. Right? And you can sometimes find hints in the Pesukim about them. Okay. The second one. This is separate from laws that are termed Right? There's no debate about these, but the difference for the Rambam between legal traditions that are from Moshe and traditions that we call Halacha and Moshe Messina, which the Ramam counts as like 30, or give or take, right? The difference is whether or not you can find a hint for them in the Pesukim, okay? So, again, those two areas of tradition don't have debate. Sometimes you're able to find hints for them in the Pesukim, but you can't really know just by looking at the fact that there's a Bidrash Halacha about it, whether or not it is actually created after the fact by somebody who came after Moshe. Fine. And then, the third part, but if you have a law that is found in from the Midos, then you've got to debate about it. Right? As we know, right? many halachos that are debated about. Right? And this is what the Ramam seems to think, that he doesn't really impose the category of Darabanan on these laws, but it seems like anytime you have, you have a real debate, for the Ramam, that's evidence of an there being no received tradition, and therefore that law would not be associated with Sinai, and therefore would have a lower, it would be of a lower status. Right? It's not a straight Darbanan label, but it is certainly, if you look at it from the Ramam's structure, right, of Chumash plus commentary, and then anything about which there is debate is not included in that. Right? That's what the Ramam seems to think. Doesn't he give examples of the devices in, 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 in his, in, in, in his Gimel? Talks about the Kabanos and how they change the procedures. So I can't remember what the examples are. Um, that's a good question. Uh, we have to, we, I'll, I'll, take, I'll try and take a look. Um, yeah, what the examples are. But, it, but, it, but it, it's, it's sort of shock. It is still shocking to the system because it does seem sort of that there are cases where there would be debate that they should be Durabana. And so that's the question of how you deal with each of those cases for within the Rabbim has produced a vast, vast literature. Right? There's a famous Chubel Chacham Tzvi that is always quoted in these contexts, so I can't sort of get away without, without quoting it, where he quotes like 170-odd cases in Shas that seem to go against the Rambam. Right, where he says, well, the Rambam says, never any debate about tradition. Right? And the Chacham Tzvi says, wait a second, if you look in Talmud Bavli, you have like a million examples that go against this. So there's actually, um, there's, I don't think there's a good answer for what the Rambam, I've never seen a great answer, and I certainly haven't come up with one myself. One answer, one part of the answer, and we'll get to some more, sort of pushing that direction as we move forward. One part of the answer is actually found in the introduction to the Nitziv's commentary on the Shiltot. Um, where he says, you know, sometimes when the Gemara says, oh, Gemara Gemirala, that it's a tradition, so Rashi and the Balitos would say that's, you know, Halakha Mishim Sinai. But it's not clear that that necessarily would be the case. So the Ramams can get out a lot of, a lot of the challenges by having a sort of narrower definition of the term Halakha Mishim Sinai. But it doesn't get them out of all the, all the problems. And I, I'm not going to try and solve the problem tonight. We just have to sort of take this as a given for how the Ramams thinking. Uh, while we're here, we'll just wrap up the fourth and fifth one, right? The fourth category is dinim some certain laws that protect the Torah. Right? And other things that sort of, for how society operates. Um, it is sort of interesting, I haven't really given it a great deal of thought, but it is very, always striking to me 
that sort of durabanans that protect the Torah is different than durabanans that sort of uphold society. Not quite sure why, but it, it's, something to, it's, it's something to think about. Is one Gzeros Maybe, but it's not, I don't think that, it could be that Gzeros and Tukhanos, but I'm not, but I'm, I, you have to see exactly how the Rambam uses those terms. But yeah, I think that that's sort of the idea, um, but I don't think that's necessarily consistent with the Chazal that Gzeros always means around the Torah and Tukhanos always means or, ordering society. Um, it could be that the Rambam tries to impose that, but I, I don't remember that uh, off the top of my head. Okay. Anyways, the Rambam is adamant about this system, and I, I just want to sh- show you um, very clearly um, with one interesting nafka. I mean, uh, how this comes up in Hilos Mamrim, um, in the Mishnah Torah, uh, where these, all these dinim come up, and all these comments about tradition sort of come to life. So th- 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 towards the end of the first parak of Hilos Mamrim, source number 17, he says, Divri Kabbalah ain't behem leolam. No one ever argued about any traditions from Sinai. V'chol davar shetim soba machloket. Anytime you find a debate, anytime you have a debate, we know it's not from, from Moshe. Um, right? and, therefore, and therefore, in those cases, when you have no tradition, when you learn something out using logic, right? if everyone agrees, then that's excellent. If there's an argument, right? the same idea is sort of succinctly summarized. Right? No debate, about traditions, whenever there's a debate, it can't be a tradition, right? And therefore, we follow Roth. And therefore, and then he ends, in Hilchus Mamrim, Perak Beis, the last source here, Beitin HaGadol Shedarshu Be'achad Hamidot, Kefimash Nira Be'enehem, Shadin Kach Vedanu Din, anytime the Beis Din is analyzing Chumash and using the Midos to create a law, Right? Which, just before we get to like, what the case is, right, that's also very striking because the Rambam sort of thinks that that's how it worked, right? We see just a summary of, a sort of epitome of what the Rambam believes to have happened, right? That there was, after the fact, after Moshe died, we saw the first year, there was, or the second year, I guess, there was no nevuah that could contribute to Allah. It's all um, through Seichel. It's all sort of man-made, right? And, and therefore, then what happened, so let's say a based in made a ruling based on the Midos, and if a based in, another based in came up and said, okay, like, I, I got another, we have another way to interpret this. They wanted to contradict it. They can overturn an earlier based in's interpretation if it's based on the Midos. Beitin Shabadora Doracha, right? You should only follow the basin that's alive. Right? And if they have an interpretation of the using the Midos, then that's great. And they're authoritative. And if another basin comes along to overturn it, that can also be possible, right? Which is very interesting. Sorry? <laughs> it's it, this is the Ramam's position. It's very interesting, though. In the next very next halacha, the Ramam says this only applies to things that are pertain to the Mido, not Takano. Right? If if the basin was to make a Takana, so that you can't do. You can't overturn. But the point is that for the Rambam, let me take a, let's take a couple steps back. We're going to sort of unwind what we've gone through here. The first step is for the Rambam, the Midos are a sort of a creative, generative process that happens in the absence of tradition, right? And therefore, with the Midrashim, you have a big problem as to how to identify, how to understand them. On the one hand, you have Midrashim that clearly contain 
Torah tradition, like traditions from Sinai, right? For example, I mean, this could be help us account for the examples we saw at the beginning of like Lavdoza, Tefillah, right? Maybe that's, the Rambam clearly thinks that the explanation of worshiping God, i.e. prayer, is a tradition, or the more difficult examples to understand from the Pesukim of, you know, not punishing on Shabbos is a tradition. On the other hand, we have Midrashim that do not help us, or do not contain, sorry, Sinaitic tradition from Sinai, and those would be only, we would label them Darabanan, at least according to the Rambam. Okay. So this doesn't quite help solve all our problems, but what we've done, I think, is sort of lay the groundwork for thinking about them. Right, so the Rambam in the second source is going to tackle then the status of Midrashim and figuring out how to do it. We still are left with the problem. We'll try and solve this next week, I hope. What it means, right? Because he still has, seems to imply that anything that is counted is Daraisa, and those things are only identified when Chazal say Daraisa or Guf Torah, and anytime they don't say Doraisa or Guf Torah, it's Durbanan. Okay? You're going to tell me, well, love dozo tefillah, right? Worshiping God is prayer. Because I'll never say it's Doraisa. And never say it's Guf Torah. So how do we know that that's in? So you have to stay tuned. So that's next week. That's where the problem is. Right? You see, I, we, I think I hate leaving things unresolved. But we sort of have to. Because we have, I think the first step here is to understand how Midrashim work for the Rambam. And the second one is then to figure out how he's going to apply that in this very um, challenging way and sort of try to unravel the very complicated and controversial statement that he's made um, and try to save him, in essence, from um, the Ramban's very harsh reading of him to make a different kind of suggestion as to what might be going on. And so I uh, look forward to working on that next week. All right.